The other problem with Don't Ask, Don't Tell is you have to actually not ask. And it was very easy for my partner to not ask about my relationships and my sexual encounters, but she was very interested in my life. She wanted to know what I was doing. So she'd constantly, when I'd come home, be like, all right, who did you see and what were you doing and what was going on? And that was really sweet and really loving and also really frustrating because it forced me to, to lie. It put me in a position where I was forced to lie out of respect to our, for our relationship and our rules. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 187. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a fun interview with Norm. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, I love this interview for a lot of different reasons. Norm is so positive. Uh, he loves living life. He'll he'll tell us that uh, right, does, at, right at yeah. the beginning. Um, he is in a well was in a don't ask don't tell for for quite a while and has sort of been exploring not quite a monopoly dynamic. I don't know. He'll explain it better. But it is a fantastic conversation, especially uh, for all of the guys out there who think that like dating is super hard and they just can't get any traction. Uh, Norm has a ton of strategies. He has, I don't know, I'd say a ton of success mm-hmm. for a single guy. Well, not single, for a guy who's on his own and also married and also can't talk about his wife. I don't know. He's got a lot of challenges and has had a lot of success. So thank you for being here, Norm. Thank you for sharing everything with us. We're excited to get your story out there. And yeah, just thank you. Before we jump into the show, a couple of quick announcements. We did have our meet and greet in June. It was awesome. Actually, it's still June when this is coming out. <laughs> I feel like it's already July, but July is coming very, very soon. It is. Um, our meet and greet with, in June was amazing. And just a heads up, we are taking a little bit of time off from the meet and greets, from the virtual meet and greets. So there will not be one in July just because of summer schedules. But don't worry, they will be back and we will be announcing the next one very soon. Yeah, it'll either be in August or September. Uh, we're not totally sure. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we're excited for it. We also wanted to give you a heads up on our Patreon, upcoming Patreon calls. We'll talk about more, more about Patreon in the outro. But just so you know, we have Patreon calls this month in July. Uh, July 20th will be the women's call. July 21st will be the men's call. And July 28th will be the monthly Q&A. So jot those dates down. And again, they're on our website too. And just a huge thank you to all of the patrons. Uh, we're over 170 now. Woohoo! So that's super exciting. And just, yeah, a huge uh, debt of gratitude and thanks to everyone for being a part of that community and for giving us the love and support um, both for the show and just in our personal lives. We've gotten a lot out of it. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, one last thing, maybe before we let you go, is uh, STD check. It is the way that we get tested for STIs. We absolutely love it. We've used it for years. It's fast. It's simple. And it's even more affordable now than it's ever been. <laughs> they they knocked $60 off the price, so it's $130 for a 10-panel test. If you use the links on our website, you save $10 and you support the show. And we would just say a huge thank you to everybody who has used that. And if you are somebody who has used it and loved the service and you want to leave us a voicemail, please do that. And we will hook you up with some type of awesome goodie bag. We've got all sorts of stuff. we got condoms and lube and books from people. We've got, we've got stuff. So we would love to get some voicemails from you to tell everybody else how awesome you thought STD check was or is that we can use here in the intro. So you don't have to listen to us talk about it. Right. Exactly. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the contact us button, and you'll see there it's super easy to leave us a voicemail. While you're on our website, you can also find links to the discount codes for STD check. You can also find podcast show notes and you can reach out to us for any reason. It doesn't have to just be for STD check. Um, send us an email, send us a voicemail and just, yeah. Thank you for listening. And we will see you on the other side of this conversation with Norm. Yeah, let's go. Welcome 
Norm to the show. We're so happy to have you here. And we're so happy you reached out to us. Uh, I know that you sent us a lengthy email with uh, your story. And we're so excited to get this out there and have you share your story as well. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you for the podcast. I, I enjoy it as a listener. And I, I've learned a lot. And I hope I have something to share. Yeah. Well, based on what we heard, that won't be an issue. No. So <laughs> thank you, uh, as Emma said. And do you mind introducing yourself so we can learn a little more about who you are and then dive into what what are you doing here? What are you doing in general, but what are you doing here, right? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, my name is Norm. Uh, I like, uh, I love life and I, I love living it. Um, up here in the Pacific Northwest and uh, I am happily married to uh, a wonderful woman who is herself monogamous and um i am by nature i guess polyamorous but we have found ourselves in an open relationship for most of our time together um and that um kind of is the what brought me here today to talk about this model which i think is one that can work for a lot of people but is not often explored out of fear um and out of uh the challenge of an initial conversation that nobody wants to have. Uh, right. Yeah. And that, that sort of mono poly dynamic has a lot of, I'd say maybe minds to navigate. Yeah. And so yeah. we're excited. Not monogamy in general does. And then add that dynamic. There's Absolutely. even more complicated. So we're, we're excited to have you here to hear about it. Um, I guess maybe before we go back in time and figure out how we got here, do you, can you explain a couple of things? One, what your dynamic looks like uh, with with your wife, um, and also maybe verify for us. We know this is true, but the listeners love to hear it that she has provided consent to you to be here sharing anything you want. Well, maybe not anything, <laughs> anything you two have discussed, and um, that that everything is good to go there. Uh, yes, uh, she has consented to my being here, and part of the conversation will be about or our, part of our experience is about the transition in our relationship from open and talking about it to a don't ask, don't tell, and now transitioning back to being open and talking about it again. Uh, and uh, it, I'm, I'm pleased to say that uh, we were able to have a good conversation about our relationship recently and about my being here. And uh, she wasn't able to join me, but uh, she's, she's looking, she's open to hearing what I have to say. Yeah, good. Well, thank we, you for clarifying that. We love that, and a thank you to her for uh, giving her blessing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, take us back to the beginning. Uh, when when did you start learning about or exploring non monogamy on on your own or as a couple? I uh, perhaps. Well, I guess we'll start really as as a, a child or a teenager because intellectually. Even though I came from a traditionally successful, you know, uh, family, my parents stayed together, my, my mom's entire life, um, and you know, I, they had what I believe to be a monogamous relationship. I always s knew that there was just something, or felt there's something biologically strange, um, and kind of and flawed around our our traditional marriage model, i.e. lifelong monogamy. So it was always something that kind of bothered me as a teenager, and I was looking for alternative models but didn't really know them and didn't really see them besides the Dan Savage uh, column in the back of The Stranger. Um, and, you know, just a little outlet for there is, there is something else out there. So it was always something in the back of my mind um, and as I, as I dated, I mean, I was awkward as a teenager and I didn't date much, so it wasn't really an issue. And then my first serious relationship, uh, soon out of college was with a girl uh, who I was deeply in love with, but was truly out of my league. I mean, she was out of my league in terms of looks. She was out of my league in terms of experience. She was out of my league in terms of age. Um, and even from the first day I met her, I was constantly competing with other men uh, for her attention. And we were living in an intentional community 
And there were a couple of guys in that community who were constantly flirting with them. And one of, one of the men had a copy of the ethical slut on his bed, bed stand. And she got very excited by it, started reading it, started asking him questions. Um, and eventually came to me and said, I'd like to sleep with him. How do you feel about this? Um, so, you know, intellectually I had, I had prepared myself for this. I always said to myself, sex and love are not necessarily mutually interdependent. They can, they often are, but they can also be, be separate. And I knew intellectually that the answer had to be yes, but I was young and I was in love and I was heartbroken because it was the first time that I had to really deal with this question. What does it say about me? What does it say about our relationship? What does it say about how good I am in bed? You know, all those, those, those really self-doubting questions. And so I went through a hard couple days and I eventually said yes to her, but really reluctantly. And she saw that and I, and I really thank her for this, that even with the permission, she didn't go forward knowing how much it would hurt me. And I regret that I held her back from that in, in retrospect. But at the same time, that was kind of the process. Like, you know, this whole, we talk about the conversations that need to happen and the process, right? You need to, this whole thing is about the conversations and about acceptance and about understanding. And if you don't let your partner go through that, then and get to the right place, then you're not going to have a successful model. And she let me go through that and she let this opportunity go aside. And then a few months later, when we were living in different places, um, she asked again if she could have, I guess, a hall pass, it's now called. And, you know, and so she had a very fun summer at camp. I think it was with a number of men. I did not have such success. But, um, you know, and that, but, but, but by that point, I was ready for it and I accepted it. And also the situation made it a lot easier to accept than the first time being when we're all living in a, in a small home together. When, when she came back from camp, like, I'm just curious, like, did you two stay together? And like, I guess, was that the first time you saw this model work where she was able to have a, whatever number of experiences and then you two continued your relationship and carried on? Yes, absolutely. We were together for a number of years on and off. I mean, we had other challenges in our relationship. And at sure. the end of the day, that's what's going to make you successful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the conversation around sex and things is just becomes a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a hot button topic that exposes everything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were able to get, to get past that, certainly. And I was able to, to look past it. And... Um, and yeah, and it didn't, it was never an issue in our relationship, but it never also became, we didn't reopen up. We came back together. We went back to a monogamous setting because we were, we were in place together. So it didn't become an ongoing concept in our relationship. It was, you know, for a time and a place while we were away, sure. et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of laid the foundation of, right? Like you have now done, like right. what you did is something right. that would blow most guys' minds, right? Like my partner went away had sex with some number of men, came back, and we continued our relationship, and we were good for a number of years afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it definitely gave me the solidity to know that it is, that it can happen, that that those fun experiences were fun experiences. She had a great time, uh, and she chose to come back and be with me. And that if she had, I mean, I watched friends break up all over the place. She, she could have not been with anybody and have not chosen to come back with me that, you know, that may have actually made it easier for her to come back to be with me because she wasn't forced to choose between fun and sex in the moment and her long-term love. And so I think that was an important lesson that I learned from that, that it actually can, can strengthen your relationship when you're not forced to make choices that really are not equivalent choices and shouldn't be forced upon us. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree completely. And I think there's one other like super important lesson that came out of this, which is really that like there is no such thing as being out of someone's league. And that like, you know, she had the opportunity to go and do whatever with whoever and came back to you, like it it had nothing to do with all of the things that you named. Like it was because of who you are. And so I just I wanted to throw that out there that like 
the whole idea of like you're out of my league is just kind of I think it's I don't know it's it, it, we see people all the time and we've seen this as we've moved through non-monogamy where you see a couple and like on the surface you're like there's like a, a disparity of whatever kind of height weight looks whatever and it's all so subjective that you're like people just like are in love with other people and it just doesn't matter so that's i don't know my own little diatribe i apologize no and i and i completely agree of course and 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 as i've gone on in life i you see that more and more i think there's something in your teens and 20s where there's a Mm -hmm. a bit of a sense of that and then as you date you realize what's actually important um Mm -hmm. and and as you get into the uh into the into the the swinger scene and some of the, the, the casual sex scenes you become even more aware that it's not about body types and looks. It's really about energy and fun and your ability to connect with people um, and your confidence. And we'll get into some of that stuff later, but it really is is not about those classic traditional levels. Right. Totally. Completely agree. So as, as you moved on, I guess in that relationship, you said you closed back up and, um, were monogamous for a stretch of time. How, I guess, how did your life progress in relationship wise or non-relationship wise, whatever you want to share, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that, that story fizzles out a bit. We, you know, we go on and off and, um, you know, it was one of those first deep loves that is, you know, super high and super low. And we both went our separate ways and we remain friends years later and we still you know, call each other on birthdays. And when we really want to connect with somebody on a deep level, we often reach out to each other. So, I mean, we went through a lot together. We got to know each other at a very important stage. And then we went our separate ways. And I think um, that's an important and valid form of relationship. And I, I treasure it. And I treasure that time we had. Um, and I think I took a little bit of that success into my next few years when I became what I guess at the time people called a serial monogamous. So, you know, dating different women for three weeks to three months, really throwing myself deeply into connecting and into enjoying them and getting to know them and and experiences with them, but never being really looking for larger commitment. Um, Partially that was about location. I was at the time based in New York and I always saw myself coming back to the, the Northwest and didn't necessarily want to drag somebody through that that hard decision of having to move across the country, which is a, a very hard thing. So I just kind of said, this is for now and, and that's for later. So I started dating more than one person and just kind of, oh, so, so that's why that just so from that zero monogamy, when I realized I wasn't going to be diving necessarily deep into, into depth, it became easier to open up the idea to casual dating. And of course, I looked around in the New York dating scene and I realized that casual dating is actually fairly common. And so I started dating more than one person at a time. Um, so, you know, these baby steps into the into the, the understanding that you can hold people to different levels and have different experiences um, started at, at that point. But, you know, there were some challenges with dating multiple women at the same time, and I learned a few very important lessons. First one is don't assume that just because you haven't had the conversation saying that you're monogamous, that the other person you're monogamous that you know you should just be upfront you don't have to be upfront on the very first date that you're a poly by nature or things like that i mean that should come out sooner rather than later i believe but you know um if you're seeing other people say it because if it comes out later it can be much more disastrous especially when it turns out that you're dating two women who live on the same block um <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like you might know a thing or two about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, there was just a time when I just really had a thing for these two blocks in New York. And first I dated a woman, then I dated someone who lived two stories above her in the same building. And then concurrently, I, did, I dated a woman who lived one block down all at the same time. And it, it made for some very awkward moments as we approached back towards the the buildings, you know, walking them home at night, trying to kiss them good night, but not wanting to hold their hand, having held their hand in public all through the city, but then not wanting to do it on the one block in front of their house. <laughs> uh, so, you know, did, you did they, 
did they know about each other at this point or was this still when you were kind of like keeping things a little hush hush? I mean, yes and yes. I, mean, I think they knew I was dating other people, but didn't necessarily know how serious. And they certainly didn't know that they were neighbors. And I didn't really screen that. When I was trying to decide who I was going to date at the same time, I didn't think to myself, oh, no, sorry, you live in the same building as my ex and you live next door. Uh, we can't. I have to wait. I have to wait another month or two till I can date you. It just didn't occur yeah. to me at the time. Yeah. Um, no, I think but, that's totally legit. But now with modern technology, I guess you can do a little Google mapping of where all your people are and make sure they're all at least, you know, a, a one mile radius away from each other before you. Uh... <laughs> Not necessarily a requirement, though, especially no. in New York City. I mean, you'd be getting pretty far away at that point. Right. So, yeah. I, I, um, I love that. So, yeah. So, yeah. So dating was fine. Yeah, but after a while, yeah, I just had to be quite clear that what I was looking for. And it also became. I mean, as big as New York City is, you can get a reputation. And, you know, people started to date me, knew this in advance, that I was known as a player or, you know, uh, people nicely would say a serial monogamist. And at first it offended me. And after a while, I embraced it. I mean, I just kind of, okay, yeah, that's who I am. And if you're bothered by it, I may be attracted to you. I may really like you. But if it bothers you that I like women then clearly we shouldn't be dating. And that's good to know that up front um, instead of creating a whole emotional mess uh, for down the road. So it took a while till it became humorous. At first it was, you know, an impediment and frustrating. But, uh, you know, after a while it kind of was like, all right, this is who I am. I am what, what you would, I guess, call polyamorous. I mean, at the time it was, I, I felt like a new term. Uh, back in the mid-2000s in New York City. Um, I'm sure it's been around for decades, but it, it hadn't made hadn't made its way. Uh, it was just making its way into the general lexicon, and you couldn't go out there and date as poly. I mean, there were no poly dating apps. There was no – well, maybe there were poly meetup groups, but I didn't know how to find them. Right. And so, you know, I can I need to date as, a, you know – as a serial monogamous, I guess, but uh, started to understand my 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 position as poly, or at least in a minimum, as someone with a high sex drive who's able to separate sex from relationship and wants to be able to explore that. And so I started putting that out front in my in my conversation, so people knew what they were getting into, and it led to some really fun experiences, like at the age of 31 when I was dating a 23-year-old, a 33-year-old, and a 43-year-old all at the same time. I love really, I mean, I guess love is the wrong term. I really like I deeply cared for them all and connected with them all, but on very different levels. They had very different places in life and goals of what they were looking for. Um, you know, and the 43-year-old certainly had no problem with the casual sex and she would was was ready was kind of past the, the the dating stage and was kind of living happily on her own but you know wanted some some pleasure and some you know and some companionship and so that was a, a really satisfying thing you know there's a the 23 year old had a certain level of uh, of you know energy and 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 joy and enthusiasm certainly uh, and then the 33 year old turned out to eventually become my wife so um clearly that was the the deepest connection um you know, of the bunch. Uh, so that really was a, it was, was, a, was a, a good time. I mean, it was fun, certainly. Um, but it also, yeah, allowed me to, in a more of a casual sense, navigate these conversations to, to say, to learn how to say to people up front, this is what I want. Um, my wife, the 33 year old, we were long distance at the time. So it also allowed for an easier transition into this because we were both dating other people. I mean, eventually, as I said she is by nature uh, monogamous, and she has not since we kind of came together more seriously. She has not been with other people, but at the time she was dating other people as well, and I was too. So it allowed us to to establish that connection, and yeah, those conversations with other folks really gave me the skills to talk to her. Um, and that time, that 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 long distance time, also gave us the the time to kind of to to build the emotion without the, the physical connection, while we're having physical connection with other people, 
and realize that, yeah. the, that the emotional connection was the deeper one, even though we were physically both with other people, that our connection was the deeper one. And that was what mattered much more. Yeah, um, totally. I was, I was, I have questions about your wife and all that dynamic, but before we get into that, it sounds like you were exploring, you know, polyamory on your own there for a little bit of time. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about some of the, uh, challenges that you encountered in that time and also some of the uh, maybe learning learning experiences and what you what you learned going through that early on uh yeah I mean I certainly broke some hearts you know and that was hard you know people who got really invested who maybe I didn't say really up front was not quite as transparent about my what my goals were or people who know even if I was transparent about it um were really hurt by the final outcome, you know, got invested, even though I told them not to, whatever. There are some challenges around public facing. I mean, this is always a challenge in a world where most of us who are non-monogamous are not out of the closet. So, you know, when I was getting serious with my wife and I also had a connection uh, with somebody on a work trip. Um, and I tried very hard to keep our connection secrets from the other people because I didn't want to hurt her and I wasn't necessarily ready to expose my situation. But she really wanted to be public and she, she kept forcing it a little bit publicly. And then when a few months later I ended up getting engaged to my wife, she felt hugely betrayed and hugely embarrassed that she had had this public thing with somebody who then went and got publicly engaged soon after. So, yeah, and I don't have great answers to those. I mean, I tried as much as I could to front load it, and I tried to, to be with partners who understood what I was looking for and understood who I was, but you can't always succeed um, at knowing who you're picking um, in any given moment. In that, in that instance, did, did the woman... You, that you met on the work trip, she didn't know about your soon-to-be fiance. She knew about her. She knows in a relationship, but I don't think okay. she realized quite how serious it was. Serious enough that I'm I was going to sure. get engaged a few months later. You know, she said, "Oh, well, you're, it must be casual enough that you're with me, right? Here you are. I gotcha. We're having this deep connection." So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that people tell themselves stories, even if you try to tell them your truth, they don't always hear it. Yes. No, for sure. That's super valid. And I think that's hard, right? Cause then you kind of wind up hurting her, um, unintentionally. And while you're also trying to do your best. So I, I feel for you on that one. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's, I think the, the biggest blooper is just trying to navigate the feelings of the majority of the world who doesn't share that. Um, it may be easier now, 20 years later, a little bit, um, to be a little more open about it. But I still think not in all circles, not in most circles, probably. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to be be really transparent and really upfront and just also really sensitive to the fact that you will hurt some people along the way and try not to be an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, totally. and, and likewise, you'll end up getting hurt along the way, too, when that's part of the nature of of the game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other, I don't know, other, I mean, some of these, you know, I might be saving for bloopers, but I'm also getting into them right now. I mean, during that time, uh, two in the same year, two different single women in their forties asked me to impregnate them with no expectations of fatherhood. Um, that was a hard phase, right? Being this person who was very open sexually and dating in your thirties to women who were in their, late thirties and forties who are kind of coming to that stage in life where they're realizing that if they want to have kids and they're not going to have a partner, maybe they have to go forward on their own. Um, so it was definitely flattering to be asked. Um, and I, I struggled with it for a long time because ideologically I really thought it was the right thing to do. I mean, these women really wanted to get pregnant. I mean, one of them was paying tens of thousands of dollars to do IVF while her and I were then hooking up with a condom on, it seemed ridiculous. But then on the flip side, I just couldn't, just couldn't bring myself emotionally to 
I was not comfortable with the idea of having biological children who I had no relationship with. And I just didn't think right. I'd be able to to play that distant role. And I wasn't willing to play the, the connected role. Right. And both of them have wonderful children now through one through IVF and one through another partner. So it all worked out the best for everybody. But that was certainly an interesting um, challenge that I was not expecting when I started being more more open about my casualness. And the, the, the women got, they yeah, were also, they totally. were just as open about the casualness, <laughs> some of them. They were like, okay, you're right. I'm also casual and this is what I want. I don't want a partner. I need sperm. <laughs> yeah. I mean. To navigate those conversations, like you said, it, it, I, you know, I can imagine how it would be easy to struggle with that. Like just that's a, that's a tough one. So. Yeah. So how, as you start to progress deeper into the relationship with your wife, while well, you're not wife, like you said you got engaged and like, presumably she knew that you were dating other people. And how did you transition into this marriage while also maintaining your openness? Like how did this well, dynamic... Well, and like knowing she was monogamy, monogamous minded. Yeah. I mean, in the end of the day, I just put it up front. I don't know, right from the beginning, I said, this is me. I can't see myself having sex with one person for the rest of my life. Um, and I, I can see myself being emotionally connected with multiple people, but I don't need that. And I was, that's a place where I was willing to compromise. I was not, I was willing to give up on the poly idea um, and and really go emotionally monogamous, um, but that I knew that it was just setting myself up for failure to to, to make a, a monogamous commitment, and I was not interested in setting us up for failure. So I said that from the beginning. Again, it helped that we were already dating other people casually when we started. Um, but you know, as we got started, I said, this is, uh, you know, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to build a life with you. But you need to understand that I don't think, you know, 60 years of exclusive sexual de- interdependency is healthy. And, you know, it, it bothered her at first, certainly. Um, but she looked to, to our year apart she looked to, to to me and our history, and I guess she trusted me enough um, to go to, to go into it. Um, you know, during that first year apart, we did talk about our our other relationships and our other encounters. Um, when we got serious, one of her rules was that was a D uh, don't ask, don't tell. Right? The DADT. She did not want to know the details of of my play. And, you know, we set some pretty strict ground rules to begin with. It was important that it not happen anywhere near our social circle or even in our own city to begin with. And that worked because I traveled a third of the time for work and I was, you know, able to to make that happen. You know, we went through a phase soon after we got married. She asked for a year of, of sexual exclusivity and just to give us time to strengthen our our bond and our relationship. Uh, and that made sense to me. It was a hard year, but it, it made sense to me. And I, uh, you know, and I respected that. So, you know, it was, it was a conversation from day one and it was a condition that never stops. I mean, it's, um, you know, it, there's questions. It turns out there are some challenges with don't ask, don't tell. Right. So you, you think it, it sounds great because if you don't ask, you don't know anything. But there are a few challenges. The first one is that if you don't know how much someone's with with another partner, you assume they're always with another partner. <laughs> and I was discovering that every time I was going out, she had this fear that I was just going out with somebody else. And she didn't know to what extent that was. Was it just play? Was it relationship? Was it in depth? Right. So her fears we're, we're, we're running a little bit wild. So we had to have some conversations to alleviate those fears to say, when I say I'm going out with this friend, I usually actually am going out with that friend. I only occasionally, whatever, I'm going out with somebody else. Like you can assume that I'm not doing that every time. And, you know, you can just be reassured that I'm not getting into deep emotional connections and, and things of that nature. So, you know, there were times we had to kind of revisit the conversation on that front. Um, 
The other problem with don't ask, don't tell is you have to actually not ask. And it was very easy for my partner to not ask about my relationships and my sexual encounters, but she was very interested in my life. She wanted to know what I was doing. So she'd constantly, when I'd come home, be like, all right, who did you see? And what were you doing? And what was going on? And that was really sweet and really loving and also really frustrating because it forced me to, to lie. It put me in a position where I was forced to lie out of respect to our, for our relationship and our rules. Uh, and, you know, usually I would deflect and I would just, you know, I'd play tired or I would whatever, um, like quick statement. But yeah, so fortunately, as I mentioned already, uh, we have more recently transitioned out of that. She's come to a place where she's, you know, through her own growth and her own exploration and her own listening to podcasts and reading and whatever, that she's ready to start hearing my stories, um, not quite ready yet to to explore with me. Uh, I certainly hope that will happen someday, but I don't know. And that has, has really been a wonderful uh, advancement in our relationship, the transparency uh, and the ability to kind of, I mean, one of the beauties of, of, of sexual energy is that it begets more sexual energy. And that is if you are getting that energy and if you're getting that enthusiasm, it, you know, it's, you know, people say, people think that, oh, you know, if you're going and getting, having sex outside of the relationship, you'll come back and not feel like the need for it back at home. And it's the exact opposite. It's that when you right. get revved up and you get excitement and you want to bring that back home. Um, and there was always this awkward moment when I would, you know, come back revved up and excited after being with a partner or going to a party and want to like come and share that, that sexual energy with my wife. And, I couldn't really translate it. I couldn't really tell her where it was coming from. I couldn't, you know, she wasn't necessarily in the mood for it. Um, and yeah, so that ability to be more transparent, the ability to actually bring that energy back, um, to tell stories at whatever level she's comfortable. And sometimes it brings us closer in the moment. And sometimes it leads to a little bit of heartache and challenge because these things are challenging and she's dealing with stuff that she wasn't necessarily, you know, she hadn't wanted to when she first was looking for a partner, but she accepted it with me and now she's, you know, opening up to it. So, you know, even though it's better, it, you know, it, it can lead to a couple hard days and hard conversations, certainly. Um, but yeah, that, that journey and that opening up and understanding of each other more and more has been really delightful. So um, if, if, if you're listening, wife, thank you for coming on this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I appreciate hearing all of those challenges. I think one that maybe you didn't touch on that I'm curious how you've navigated is, let's say you start talking to someone that you're interested in and they're interested in you, and now you have to say, well, I'm in an open marriage, um, but my wife doesn't want to know anything about this, so you can never verify this with her. You just have to completely take my word that, that, other that, that, I'm, yeah. that I'm doing this on the up and up um, and trust me or don't like, that's a really tough conversation to have. Cause I think there's a lot of assumptions of like, Oh, it's just a cheating. He's just a cheating piece of shit husband kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I do have to deal with that. Um, I mean, dating as a married man, you know, uh, dating as a man is difficult. Dating as a married man is, is much more difficult and dating as a married man without my wife's assistance could be almost impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, you just have to be, I think, honest and transparent and and truthful. And I think it comes across. I think, you know, even through text and I guess first public screening dates or whatever, I think people can get a sense of whether or not you're, you're being honest about it. I mean, I... I have a post, you know, that I've, I've used over the years that I, I really like the title of, and I think it draws in the right people. You know, the, the title of my ad was always happily married man looking for additional happiness. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it just, it didn't get me a lot of attention, but it got me the right kind of attention, um, you know, from poly people or from people who understood we were at. Uh, and certainly I went out with folks who basically said, if, if you can't verify for me that your wife is okay with this, then I can't date you. And I said, okay, thank you very much. You know, that's all we can do. Um, and then there are people, um, you know, who got to know me uh, more over time. 
you know, again, I've gone through various different, you know, dating environments and settings. I mean, when I was traveling for work and it was very interesting dating as a married man, I can tell you, I almost never hooked up with somebody the first night I met them. Right? As a single person, you hook up with someone the first night you meet them. It's not an uncommon occurrence. Right. As a married man, the first night was always spent explaining my situation, having a lovely, intimate, but distant conversation and evening, and then letting them walk away thinking they'll never be with me. There's no way they could be with a married man. And then the next day saying, oh, but he's such a sweet guy. I'm just so drawn to him. He's so transparent and honest. It's, we're, we're, we're here for this week. Let's just have some fun. And, and I watched that cycle repeat, right? So it was you really needed time to build relationships in dating in casual dating as a married man, for example, it didn't happen when I was a weekend somewhere or a night or met someone quickly. Um, you know, when dating online, similarly, right. You have to be, I think, put up very clearly what it is you're looking for and then be patient. I mean, in general, again, dating online, there's 10,000 male posts, every female post. Um, so you have to just wait the six months it takes for the, for the person to respond to you and realize that one in three or one in five might actually lead to something and that most of them will, you know, will go nowhere. I got a lot of questions from people about Polly because I was public about it in my post. Oh, I've been considering open relationships. What do I do? A lot of very, you know, interesting people looking for information again, oftentimes before the, the world of podcasting. So I couldn't <laughs> send them to you. <laughs> I think now those, <laughs> those questions don't come to me anymore. They come to, you know, the internet. Right. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, dating, there's, I mean, there are definitely tips to dating as a single guy, right? I mean, the biggest one, and this is the biggest, the biggest thing with dating in general, is confidence. If you have confidence and, I guess, not, not slimy confidence, but, yep. like, yep. you know, confidence Genuine. in... <laughs> Yeah, genuine confidence, confidence in who you are, in what you want, transparency. Um, that is a huge one. Um, approach people. If you talk to people, that really helps. Being shy and waiting to come to you really doesn't help. It's a numbers game as a singles guy and as uh, and as a married guy, even more so. So just accept rejection. It's going to happen nine times out of ten. And don't be a creep about it. And you know, just move on. And yeah, and then, you know, as I, oh, I mean, we haven't really gotten into this part of the story, but like, as I've gotten into the, into the swinger scene a little bit and I've gone to turn out to parties and I see all of these guys who come up to me after events, and I'm not the best looking guy and I'm not, you know, whatever. And saying, how come at every party you seem to land the girl? You know, what is it that you do that, you know, that, that, that I can't do? And I say, I talk to them. I ask them if they want to play. I put myself in the right position right next to them so that when conversations happen naturally, I'm the one they're talking to. Um, <laughs> and I compliment them. So, you know, if, if you can't be subtle as a married guy. I mean, maybe a little early flirting, but at a certain point, you just got to be overt about what you want and about who you are and just understand that it's only going to work a fraction of the time. Um, but if you put yourself out there, it, it definitely it definitely can work, um, but you have to have limited expectations. Before I found the swinger scene, I mean, it was you know dating online and having you know partners on the side. It is it's it's not an easy place, and you have to just accept that it's going to be months between before you might find the next the next partner, and you have to build relationships. And um, it's not easy to do when you're busy with work and life and family. Yeah, so. It it sounds like, well, first off, thank you for sharing all of that and all of those tips and everything. But it sounds like with, with the swinging scene, it's gotten a little easier for you. Am I, is that correct? Yes. Everyone should go search for the swinging scene if what you're looking for is is casual sex. I think it's a it's a wonderful community that, you know, we all thought died out in the 70s, but it's still there in every small community across the country um, and really provides, you know, a supportive opportunity. I mean, there are some challenges uh, with certain parts of the swinging scene. I mean, it can be a little bit heteronormative. Um, I think it would be nice to queerify that scene a little more. But um, yeah, I mean, once if you know where the people are who are looking for people like you, that certainly helps. You know, it, um, 
a couple suggestions for that scene as a single guy. The first, the big one is again, build a relationship with a woman who's also coming as a single woman. People assume the swinger scene is primarily couples um, and then single guys, you know, for the ladies. But there's actually a fair number of single ladies who are also coming to these events, um, just looking for casual connection and, you know, and simplicity. And there's a great chance to connect with one or two of them at some of the parties and then come to them with these parties to them in the future. Just make plans to meet them at these parties. I mean, there's a number of advantages to this one. The first one, for your sake, you become bonafide. Right? Any, any guy who shows up at one of these parties with a woman is already a step above all the random single guys who are out there. Number two, it makes it easier to just meet people. You've got the two of you. You've got it's a little more social. You're, it's a little less awkward. Um, for her, for her sake, you know, it becomes a little bit of a, a shield, a protection from the other single guys. If she's not feeling it that day, she can just you know hide behind you. She knows she's got a partner she can play with. She's going to have a good time with. And it also tends to be cheaper because generally the pricing of a lot of these things is the same price for a couple or a single guy. So you know she comes for free, or you know, or you whatever you split it and uh and it's, and it's cheaper for you so you know it's it's a great way to to just feel a lot less awkward going into these events so uh the, the scene is good and then building relationships uh, in, in that scene um as a single guy i mean there's there are public swinger events and there are and there are closed swinger events you definitely want to try to get onto the closed swinger list because those events tend to have less single guys around. The ones that are publicly advertised on FetLife and things like that often have a, a really high ratio of random single men, and they tend to be non-verified by the, by the, you know, by the hosts. And so there's a higher threshold you have to clear to kind of, you know, impress people. And, you know, and, and the biggest, I guess the biggest lesson I've learned whether it be with the swinger scene or in general, is that we all totally misunderstand um, uh, Viagra, Cialis, and other male enhancement pills. Um, we've seen all these ads and all this promotion when it came out about how these things are for old men who can't get an erection. And sure, I'm sure it's for them too, but the the beauty of these pills is actually not their ability to help you get an erection, but the ability to help you sustain an erection or get an erection again and again and again. It can basically eliminate your refractory period uh, and allow you, I know some people refer to, to these things as uh, swingers insurance, right? Gets you <laughs> past that fear of, you know, a, a performance. And it's, it blows my mind actually how few people, when you go to these parties, how few of the guys are, are enhanced, are, are, are super powered, um and kind of because you can see them wanting wanting more and i think there's still a stigma against it and that stigma doesn't exist in the male in the gay male sex party community as i understand um you know but um so i'm certainly a public service announcement for all you guys out there get a prescription um i think you guys may even have connections to places you know that that, that mm -hmm. sponsor you um, and, and give that, try that out. If it's, if it's for you, it can really give you the confidence and the experience that, that you've been looking for. Yeah, we don't, we don't actually have any sponsor, but the, I would say like the thing that we've often heard and have experienced is like, it takes, it takes away the mental block because it, it, it can be, especially for me, it's very like, there's a lot going on. And so I get in my head and then that that's pretty much the end of it. So yeah, I think all your points are spot it, it, on. It takes on another block and just, just physiologically, right? You are at the sexy mm -hmm. party. You've been surrounded by sexy women for hours and all this sexy time. Everyone's doing all the sexy stuff. You finally get to play, uh, you know, maybe it happens a little faster than you might want because of all that's going on. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily, your body doesn't necessarily respond the way you want it to, uh, given that yeah. moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think most people oftentimes are, you know, want to come back for a round two a little bit later, take a break, whatever, and then come back. And yeah, it, it can really help your body do what you, what you want it to do, potentially. I, I, I don't know how to say this in a in a not rude way, but I watch all of these, all these couples come, where you know the woman really just wants to get fucked, 
to be honest, like really wants that. And the husband is unable to perform. And that's where they ask someone like me to come in and, and team. And this is a lot of fun. I just want to say to him, like, here, take one of these, come back in an hour. You'll be ready to go again. And don't be shy about it. Um, so I do think, you know, it may not be for everybody, but everyone should, should try it at least once. And again, it's not to get hard. You can get hard. Great. It's to stay hard. It's to alleviate that fear. It's to be able to get hard again and again, whatever it might be. Um, or it's to give that person that particular extra hard experience that they, that they wanted in that day. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I agree. Well, I don't I know if any sponsors. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was like, I hope this isn't a little bit too, um, too, uh, blunt for your show. <laughs> No, no. And I think what's, I was going to say, I think what's funny about it is like, it'd be easy for you to be like, no, no one else try it. Just call Norman to, for the assistance. But <laughs> you're, you're definitely here to like help out. And I, I really appreciate that. And I think I loved all of the different tips that you gave, because actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, you said like, well, I was dating like every girl on this block. And it, it was, I think there's not public- every, there were only three, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it I, wouldn't have mattered if it was, everyone. no, okay, I think, but I think there's people listening and we've, we've heard from these people often. Like the guys are like, well, we got onto dating apps and my, my wife or my girlfriend has a hundred messages and I can't even get a reply from one. And you're here being like, here's, here's what you do. You, you, you have to be bold. You have to be confident. You have to talk to them. You have to be kind. You have to be genuine. And also like, you have to do this a lot of fucking times. Like you didn't just like, it wasn't like the first three people you reached out to are like, yeah, let's do this. It was probably many, many, many times doing this. And so I think those are all really valuable lessons to take away from this. So I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. Yeah. And and if any uh, sponsors uh, are yeah, listening, yeah, you want Viagra to sponsor our show? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Sh- sure, <laughs> sure. Well, who knows? Um, send the samples over. We'll try them out. Yeah, sure. Send samples. Let's go. Uh, um, the, the, the other here's another tip. You're asking about tips for guys. Um, I mean, married or or sing, or single, um, uh, and playing with their partners or without. But again, it comes out of confidence, and that is host. Throw your own events, throw your own parties. I, I've been. Wa- I took me a while at the scene looking at all these guys and being like, "Well, that guy does really well." Because like, oh, they're hosting their parties, they're doing the hard work, they're creating those communities. Um, and just more recently, in the last year, I started hosting a few small events of my own, and it just it allows you to build the space that you want, the kind of people that you're looking for, the kind of energy that you want. Um, and again, if you create the space then people are more likely to come out of the woodwork. Um, and I found that has been a successful model that I see people endeavor to take on. Yeah. yeah I think that, that's a great tip too. That's a huge tip. Yeah. I appreciate that as well. And yeah. yeah. If something is missing, create it. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious, you have, you know, you say you have, or have had the don't ask, don't tell um, dynamic with your wife. How open are you with other people in your life about your adventures? So for a long time, we were, I was fairly closed about it and mainly out of respect for my wife, who I thought was closed about it. Um, (laughs) You know, I didn't think that our friends knew and I didn't think she wanted our friends to know. So I wasn't one really talking about it. So I had a couple of key friends who, who knew who would be my, my go-to's. Uh, and aside from that, it really wasn't part of the conversation. Um, at a, a number of years into our relationship, it became clear that she was telling a few key friends and that she was okay with it being out there in our social sphere. Um, and that was certainly another an, like a relief to me. So it allowed me to open up more to, to my friends because it's – it's a big part of your life. I mean, it's, 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 you know, and being closeted in any capacity is a big challenge uh, emotionally and uh, intellectually. And so having to balance, you know, even just right now in the pandemic, and you know, people are asking me, what is it that you missed most in life? And I, I, I'm not going to say to them the swingers parties, but it's the truth. You know, <laughs> I mean, that in travel. Um, 
you know, so, you know, what is it you're missing? What is it you're missing in life? And, I, you know, um, you can't say that to everybody, but we can say that now to more people. And so, no, it has been really nice to be able to open up to our social sphere. And basically most of our close friends now know because either one or both of us have opened up about, you know, our experience, uh, either me trying to convince, you know, my friends that they need to have the conversation, you know, or, or my wife talking it through how, you know, how she's dealt with it and helping and helping the, one of the partners on that end. And while it's traditionally the the man who's looking to open up the relationship, um, it's not always the case, certainly. And again, the more time you spend in the swinger scene, the more time you realize there's a lot of really insatiable women who can't be satisfied by one guy, just physiologically. And so we're certainly seeing, and the more talking about it, that some of our female friends also are coming out and saying, you know, I want more uh, emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. So, you know, we're not yet out to family. We're not yet out to, you know, those kind of levels. Um, but in our social sphere, we've, we were basically out at the moment. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really great, too, that, like, your wife, while she wanted the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, was still comfortable talking <laughs> with other people. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that says a lot. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's great. So yeah. good, on, good on her. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know you have already shared a couple of bloopers, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to share if you have any others as well. Uh, I think my favorite blooper when I was thinking about the story was um, right after my wedding, I had, you know, been, been playing and I had been trying so hard again as, uh, as a married or engaged man to date. And this is again, before I discovered the parties and uh, before I discovered Fet and just trying to you know fight my way out on on trips and on occasional Craigslist connections things like that. It was very difficult, and then we got married and we made this this monogamous commitment to each other, which I was excited about. I mean, I mean, maybe not excited about the commitment itself, but I was excited about the stage in life we were going into when I was open to that commitment. And then, for basically the first time in years, I go away on a work trip, and there's a woman, another married woman, and she's throwing herself at me <laughs> she is all over me draped over me you know cuddling on me and um and saying to me you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas like you don't have to worry about this and i said no no, no. what happens in vegas leads to annulment and <laughs> i am not well like, this is literally 10 days after my wedding like i we got married and i had to go on a work trip immediately um, so we had just made this commitment, this monogamous commitment and this lifetime commitment. And, um, I had to, to fend her off, which was a very, very difficult weekend because with her through the entire weekend. The good news, I guess, of the story is that a year later, I was back on a similar work trip and back in Vegas again. And she was there as well and very interested in me. And by this point, the year of monogamy had lapsed. And I was open to exploring again, um, but I have to admit it was a, a mediocre encounter. I don't know if that was the buildup. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 whatever the situation was, but um, it did not turn out to be. I mean, I, I for that year, I was like waiting. I'm going to see her again. And we're going to have this amazing weekend and blah blah blah. And uh, it was, it was not. <laughs> Was she was she open with her husband about it? Um, no, and that was an interesting situation. Um, I shouldn't get into too much of someone else's details, but she, her husband had gone on a transition; they had drifted apart, and so she was not open about it. But then later, when I met up with her again in the in a third year, um, I was like, "Well, maybe we'll give us another try. You know, there's less anticipation. We'll just have some fun. You know, with, without a key." But at that point, she was in a, if you call it that, a monogamous relationship with a lover. So she was only with her lover and her husband. I got and you. she was yeah. not willing to be with, with anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, the last of our... Uh, oh, no, then we're going to meet up one more time uh, just for a little bit of fun one time. And uh, I guess this is before that. And uh, that was the night of the big blackout in New York and flights were all canceled and we couldn't get, we couldn't get to Vegas. And so it's a, the, that whole encounter was a series of bloopers, but. 
sounds like it. I love wow. It. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. And for and for everything, like is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure to share that we missed in your story and we didn't ask about that you want to get out there? We want to give you the chance to do that um before we let you get on with your afternoon. Um no, I mean I think the basic basic thing I just want to get across to people is that it's never too late to have the conversation about your your needs emotionally, sexually, um, and the reality that no one person can really be all those things. And it was, I was lucky. I went into this conversation. I knew that about myself already, and I was able to have it up front. Um, and I encourage anyone who knows that about themselves to have that conversation up front because it's going to be a lot easier and a lot less heartache if you put that up front. Um, but even if you go into a relationship, you don't know about that about yourself when you first start. When you realize it, you know, you still have 30, 40, 70 years together and you don't want to be constantly saying, I wish I'd, op- I'd open this up. I wish I had this conversation. You don't want to be resenting each other over your inability to satisfy each other emotionally or sexually. You want to really be able to delve into your partnership and delve into your life together without, I think those things getting in the way. So have the conversation whenever it is Start it. It'll be hard. Don't start it and say, I'm doing this now. Like give your partner some time to accept it. Let them have their little meltdown. Like I had at 21, like it's going to be hard. It doesn't matter if you're 21 or 45, you're going to, you're going to feel like there's something wrong with you, you know, you're, and you need to be open to your fact your partner is going to have that response. You need to make, make sure they understand what it is that you're asking, what it is that you want, why it's important to you, and why it will be helpful for the next 30 years going forward for both of you. And, you know, give them whatever it is, six months, a year, two years to kind of figure that out before you start really pushing it. But at a certain point, I think if this is important and you want to succeed, I mean, I won't say push it, push it, because, you know, you're already committed mm-hmm. you're already in a relationship. But, you know, I think it's going to be something that you're going to want to, I think a lot of people have the conversation and then they, they just don't want to push it over that line. They just don't want to make it, take that extra step. You know, they were uncomfortable with the conversation, so I don't want to force it. And I really, like, you just need to, like, at a certain point, once you've given them time to process it, to, to force the next level and say, all right, now it's time to explore this at whatever level we're comfortable. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. That time is critical. And I mean, if you go back and listen to episode two, you'll hear uh, Taylor and Ryan talking about like the conversation came up for 10 years mm-hmm. before they ever did anything. And so like, way to throw an old episode out there, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I am always impressed by your ability to know old episodes offhand. It blows my mind every week. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's better than others and you're better at it than I am. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's super important. Like it's not going to happen overnight. And especially if your partner hasn't ever thought of this and who knows, maybe you're like, I've been thinking about this. So like, yeah, me too. Let's do it. But like, chances are they're going to be like, Hmm. That's a, that's a whole new thing I've never thought about. And that's going to take time for them to process and figure out what they even feel about that. So, But on yeah. the flip side, don't wait too long because a lot of people have the conversation sit for a while in this hopeful state, but the hopeful state turns to frustration and despair. Um, sure. So, you know, if you're going to let it sit for a long time, really kind of re-examine the conversation and explain to each other why it's still sitting because yeah. otherwise you're going to have one person very frustrated saying, we, we, we had this, we talked about opening and I just can't do it. I just want this, blah, blah, blah. And I think it can build resentment too. So you have to give your partner, you know, a, a year, a couple of years, but at the same time, uh, don't let it sit forever. If it's, and if you can do it, great, let it sit as long as you can let it sit. But if it's starting to build resentment in you, like don't yeah. let it fester. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's all about that open communication, right? Um, and that's hard, right? Because then you're running that risk. You run that risk that you continue to push it. And they're like, no, it's a deal breaker. And then you've got a new decision to make, right? Um, so that's sort of that Dan Savage price of entry, um, mm-hmm. price of admission to the relationship. Somebody somewhere has to give if, if the two people can't align. And that's hard. Yeah. And I'd say, I mean, in, in 
in general, I mean, I really think uh, talking to most of my friends who, you know, I come from a generation still where most of the people are in monogamous committed relationships. Most of my friends are married and are monogamous. And if they were closeted and open, they'd let me know because I'm the one person who's, who's open in their life. And, you know, I think, I mean, I, I hear about all the different challenges, right? The, the, the diverging sex drives, um, the, you know, changing body types, the, the, the years after childbirth, you know, when people are just too exhausted. Um, and there's, there's a lot of reasons why good, solid relationships, you know, um, there's, could use outside sexual or emotional connections. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that, to understand that, to understand how natural that is. And to celebrate it and say, okay, so for this stage, we're going to co-parent. I, my body belongs to my children and I can't give it to you. So if you want that, like go and get that somewhere else or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but you also have to be careful, of course, that you're not getting too distracted by the outside, that you're not giving your partner what they need as well. So, I mean, I've definitely, we've had, my wife and I've had our ups and downs around that where in, in, you know, she's, I want the sexual stuff and I'm getting that somewhere else. And she wants the emotional stuff and I'm not necessarily giving that to her the way I want. And she's not getting that somewhere else. So I need to you know, step up my game. So it's always, yeah. it's always a conversation. And it's always adjustment, right? You're, and learning. Yeah. yeah you're learning constantly adjusting. adjusting as you move down the path together. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much, Norm, for reaching out again and, and coming on and sharing everything everything that you did. It was wonderful hearing your story, and I'm excited to get all of your words of wisdom out there. Thank you. Thank you for your podcast. It really is is helpful to hear that, uh, that this is uh, a lot more normalized than it was in my day. Um, and I'm seeing it being more and more normalized in, in my peers as well, at least the conversation. And I'd like to do my part to help uh, people actually exercise it, actually put it in practice in their in their relationships in their lives. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And it sounds like it still is your day. Um, it sounds like you're you're doing just fine. So we're we're happy to hear that the 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 dynamic that you and your wife have set up has evolved multiple times, and it sounds like uh, at maybe the beginning of another exciting stage. So we're happy to hear that. Absolutely. Maybe I'll come back in a few years and give you the next update. Uh, We look forward to it. And until then, thank you and have a fantastic afternoon. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you so much, Norm, for reaching out to us, coming on the show, sharing your story. It was wonderful to talk to you and we're so excited to get this story out in the world. Yeah. Just echoing Emma's thank you, Norm, um, and for just your positivity and zest for life. So thank you for that. And uh, listeners, thank you for listening Mm -hmm. and for showing up. And if you're still listening and you wanted to hear more about that whole Patreon thing Emma was talking about, it is a couple of bucks a month and we do men's calls, women's calls, a monthly video Q&A all on Zoom. And we have an ongoing MeWe chat group where the community just kind of hangs out, supports each other, shares pictures, shares stories, supports each other. Um, and it's just fantastic. So again, thank you to everybody who's a part of that community for being a part of it. And, um, if you're interested in it, check it out, click on the Patreon tab on our website. Again, it's only a couple bucks a month. You can try it for a month. If you don't like it, you can cancel. We don't get too offended. And, um, and just a quick reminder, the dates for July are going to be the July 20th for the women's group, July 21st for the men's and July 28th for the Q and a, all of those are on our website as well. And I think that's about it for this week. Uh, than letting you know that next week we have a fantastic conversation with Amy and we're super excited about that one as always. So come back next week. And in the meantime, don't forget to send us an email or a voicemail. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of Emma and me. Wow, you rocked this outro. I didn't say much. Well, you know, (laughs) some days that's the way it works. Some days, sometimes that happens. So, But anyway. We will see everybody in a week. Thank you for listening. And Emma... Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.